of the show i don't know if it did um all right well just for contingency's <laughs> mm. sake we won't go over that story again but blue i'm no. gonna reintroduce the show again right now sounds good <laughs> All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Pixels for Breakfast podcast. I am your host, Steve. Joined as always by my friend and co-host, Blue. How's it going? Uh, this is great. This is definitely the first time we've done this This is intro. definitely the first time. Contingency. This yeah. will be cut out if it did work. But if it didn't, this is definitely the first time we started the show live on YouTube.com forward slash Pixels for Breakfast. This happens to everyone. This is normal. It's fine. Wouldn't even stress about it. Yeah, this is what happens when you don't do a live podcast episode for over a month. Uh, you forget how OBS works. But anyway, <laughs> kicking off um, into, I guess, the first real piece of news of the week or the fortnight or, I guess, the month at this point. Um, Microsoft is still making a lot of moves. So there's still the uh, Activision Blizzard thing going on. They're making concessions left and right to make that deal go through uh the latest um updates from this is pc game pass is coming to 40 more countries which i think is a fantastic thing um so game pass for those who don't know i'm sure everyone does like the easiest thing is to say it's netflix for games you pay a subscription you get access to about 200 games across your xbox platforms live streaming uh service through their xcloud and pc um but yeah it's coming like pretty much worldwide a lot of countries here that uh, haven't had access like places like algeria croatia georgia guatemala uh qatar uh ukraine like all these sorts of places so there's a huge list here of 40 40 countries which is super great um big spread yeah big big spread they did uh sunset their one dollar game pass trial um, but I think there is still a pretty cheap trial version out there for you to grab. And the interesting thing here is you get the access to EA Play. Is, the full price is 10 bucks, 10 USD. For now, say. for now, until for now. they start yeah. doing the um, free. I'm right? just saying, in, in terms of the for now, that's still fine. Like, yeah, it's still super fine, right? Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely something that I use pretty regularly way more than i thought i would on pc now that i don't really use an xbox um i'm like oh i'm always checking game pass to see is that game i want to play on game pass and more often than i'm not it kind of is a lot of the time so um just great to see that service expand to, to other places um but going back to some of these concessions that microsoft are making they've just announced that there's going to be a 10-year deal to bring activision games to a uk mobile phone network <laughs> yeah <laughs> like uh, what for the engage like what's going on here um so yeah basically we're as we said they've been making a lot of concessions like we're going to be bringing call of duty to playstation and nintendo switch for x number of years those sorts of things the latest is this uk mobile company um so there's a company called ee and they're going to the the tweet from spencer phil spencer says uh, microsoft and ea are expanding our partnership with a 10-year commitment in cloud gaming to bring pc games built by activision blizzard following the acquisition and xbox to ea customers we are committed to bring more games to more people however they choose to play so sure this is apparently going to be tied into cloud gaming. So whether it's like you're going to get free data and free access to xCloud on the EE network, I assume that's kind of what it is. Um, this this is uh, 
it's not marketing, but this is this is this is a move for the appeal the the merger. This is a fair use argument. Like, yeah. I mean, this works tenfold. It doesn't just help get through the uh, regulator scrutiny, but it no. also gives way more people uh, access to be able to try xCloud without that risk and see how good it really is, right? I just don't think they would have advertised it as much if that wasn't literally on the block. Yeah, um, 100%. Um, and this yeah. is pretty similar, My, uh, not Microsoft, NVIDIA with their uh, streaming service. They have partnerships here with Docomo in Japan. So it's yep. definitely something that... Yeah. As we move into these cloud gaming spheres, they're going to be partnering with tele- telecommunication companies. Makes sense. Of course they would. Again, they need- it, it feels like we go around in circles, right? Because remember when Steam had this deal, uh, when Steam was first becoming a thing as well, and then nowadays it's... I don't know. We're in a better place in terms of like bandwidth. Um, even if you stream a game, I don't know that it rivals Netflix, right? Yeah. Because you, don't, don't you just don't so. play as much as you watch. Yeah. Is really the thing. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent, um, right? So it's kind of interesting, so. especially now that I live in a country with internet infrastructure. Like this would definitely mm. be more of a thing. Like if they partnered with Telstra in Australia, right? I would be like, ooh, mm. especially living rural. But um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. So yeah, Microsoft I, making deals left and right, <laughs> basically. It's definitely a sign that like a lot of a lot of negotiations are still underway. I actually haven't checked up on them in a while. I've been a bit distracted but i know that we've passed the deadline of when they would have liked the deal to close so yeah i think during this busy period like the uh one of the boards i think it was the uk have basically soft said that they're going to approve the deal which means if one goes and the rest of the regulators across the globe will probably follow i think that was the the major roadblock as far as the way the news was setting up but that's never a sure sign of what's happening behind closed doors yeah so uh so um, this Oh, sorry, you have something else you want to throw out there? No, no, I was literally just going to end it with like, this seems cool, but it's really a sign of what's going on with the deal, I feel like, uh, yeah. that is being advertised at all. Yeah, exactly right. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll learn more. But keeping with mobile, uh, that's a tenuous connection. <laughs> uh we'll so Hoyoverse, uh, the folks behind Genshin Impact, their new game, Honkai Star Rail, it already has 10 million users and it's not even available yet, which is pretty crazy. Um, that's one of those like statements. It has 10 million pre-registrations. Yeah. Which is well, yeah. a lot. No, that's a lot. And that's that's exactly the kind of stuff that we do all the time when we're working on mobile games, right? So this is yeah. absolutely a try. That's not 10 million users, though. Yeah, true. That is very true. That's... It is coming out on Monday, the 26th of April. They've got 10 million pre-registrations. It doesn't say if that is across multiple platforms because I do believe this is coming to PC. Yes, it is. PC, Epic Games Store, iOS and Android. So it's not just mobile, I'm guessing. Um, You can pre-register to get some like free gacha goodies or something like that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. There seems to be like a quiet excitement around this, but also this kind of vibe of, oh, it's Genshin in space. Um, yeah, that's an interesting one. So, um, Genshin disappointed a lot of the like longer term fans of um, Mihoyo when it came out, as far as I'm aware, mm-hmm. because Honkai Impact, uh, especially Honkai Impact Three, I think was like, you know, quite beloved and has a lot of personality and charm, from what I understood. Uh, that Genshin just by the nature of what it is, it's big, right? Genshin is big and it and it's filling uh, as time goes on, but. 
uh, Honkai is going to be a much more established personality-wise cast, in theory. Uh, so I can understand why a lot of people are very excited for this. It's it's going to be an interesting, like, trying to pull the audience from Genshin Impact into the more established Honkai universe, even if it's not the Honkai universe anymore. It is doing something new, as far as I'm aware, uh, yeah. in the Honkai space. So Yeah, it's going to be... Um... It's going to be interesting. Like, I think there is, I don't know, like Genshin is one of those games that I know is actually pretty good and I always actually wanted to get into, but there was just so much discourse of, oh, it's just Breath of the Wild, but gotcha. And I don't think that holds true considering how many people are still so invested in that game. There's got to be something to it. That's an interesting impression to have. I've heard from the people who like play a lot of these games that it's relatively hollow. Right, uh, if you're looking for a video game as video game, like Genshin doesn't have that much in because it, and this was a, a long time ago when it like first came out, was the criticism was that it wasn't as filled in. And, you know, that's the idea of a live service game is that they can add more as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the criticism I heard leveled against Genshin the most in the early days. And as time has gone on, um, a few of my friends who have played it, because I have never played it myself, have just kind of said that, Oh, it's it's fine. It's it's like fine. The if you're in it for story and world building, it's not great. It's a very like competent um, gotcha game and service game. If you're into that kind of stuff, if you're into the collectathons, there it's it's fine. And it has a obviously huge player base and stuff like that. So, and I yeah. remember when at at a point where I was doing like market research. Um, community sentiment for Genshin Impact wasn't great. Right, interesting. Like, yeah. I, I guess just the um, circles of podcasts and people I know that have played it. But the other yeah, thing, I guess, yeah. also, like, most gacha games are literally glorified clickers to get the next hit of dopamine. Yeah. And at least so, this had walking around, right? So, I mean, it is, it is still a single-player, like, RPG with its campaign. But if you've played... There are a few uh, mobile games that offer a good single-player experience. You, you should know that it's it, it's not all ready when you start playing. You, like, the story comes out as time goes on. That's the nature of a life service game, right? So mm-hmm. um, that's something to keep in mind. If that's if that's not your style of game, if you like the game to be there, uh, it may not be ready for you to see all of it. Even to this day, I think, with Genshin Impact. Well, yeah, I guess we'll yeah. see how many of these 10 million pre-regs actually stick around for the long haul. And if they can hit it out of the park again and just have a license to own all of the money in uh, mobile gaming, basically. I mean, this dev uh, across these games are one of the bigger ones in the in the field now. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know that revenue-wise they um, uh, have overtaken side games yet. Mm-hmm. But, like, they're definitely a contender in the space. So, like, regardless, it's a very... If you think about mobile games as, like, an investment, it's a very safe investment in terms of, like, it's going to keep going. It's not going to be just shut down in a while, um, especially as we've seen across their other games. You know, Yeah, it's not going to be, like, a Square yeah. Enix title that's six months out. It's shut down because it has no users anymore, right? Like, yeah, yeah. they'll fix it up. Uh, speaking of users, though... Bungie is like fighting with their community a little bit after they have claimed to have irrefutable evidence that a trusted Destiny community member has leaked some secrets. 
Uh, so I actually didn't know anything about this until this popped up in my feed. Basically, Bungie said that it had suffered a breach of trust after identifying a leaker among a small group of community members it sometimes invited into the studio to provide feedback on the game and share upcoming plans. Uh, apparently, this was a popular Twitch streamer named Ikugan, who was abruptly banned, leading to dismay among the fellow Destiny streamers and fans in the community. And they released a statement on Twitter We are very disappointed to have learned this information and wish that things had gone differently with this person. We do not take these actions lightly and we are confident in our decision. This is our final communication on the matter. So they are just shutting it down. They don't want to talk about it anymore. That's had uh, quite a bit of interaction online, some positive, some negative, mostly negative because it's the internet, right? Um, But yeah, basically they've just had this leak from a community member uh, you know Bungie has been pretty strong with their community like they've had a lot of these uh you know the cheating cases they've had issues with you know community uh, managers being harassed by team members and then banning them from the game as a result like they've been pretty strong with their community trying to foster you know a safe place not just for players but for for the game developers as well so yeah bit a bit of controversy in the destiny community i guess it's such an awkward thing Bungie's had a very weird tone of communication problem with its community and throughout all of destiny 2's life as far as i can remember mm-hmm. uh, and i've only ever seen this like from the outside in because i'm not a huge destiny head um but i i see them trying i see Bungie trying so hard to be like open with communication um and a lot of the time the community keeps latching on to like the wrong parts of their message kind of thing so I don't know. I, I don't know why it's so adversarial. Yeah. And it's very unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, it just kind of sucks. Like there's this whole thing of, you know, we had the uh horizon and um images going around uh, sorry, gameplay footage of early game development, right? And that sparking the whole thing and then a lot of game developers being like, Yeah, this is why we never show anything early. This is why we don't bring people more involved into the process. Um, and then he was Bungie who were trying to involve some of their top community members. And this is the result. They're leaking information. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It just uh, goes and, and further record, to making developers worried about that stuff, you know? And for the record, it 100% works. There are case cases out there of, you know, being able to bring creators in, in confidence to show them stuff, to get them excited, to then galvanize the community. Like and it's very much a business thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah. Uh, I I do believe that at some level, people who make games just want people to be excited about games, and mm-hmm. so like that that drives a lot of it. But you know, it you you sell it to the board as a yeah, this will drive interest and stuff, and that's hundred percent right. Um, I immediately can think of um, Tekken Eight. Bandai did this recently. They brought a bunch of people into the. Um, to the California office, I don't remember which state it was, um, to play a like early build version. Mm-hmm. And I'm fairly certain they were told some things in conference based on what creators aren't talking about and like some of the the way the hype cycle is going at the moment. And none of that's leaked yet. Right, yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I, I think it works sometimes, but it's one of those things where when it works, you don't hear about it because everything went right yeah yeah there's that um, too um yeah yeah so. and it's one of those things like Bungie just probably won't do this anymore 
Yeah, I mean, this is a bridge you can only burn once. Yeah, uh, and, and like and it's a it's it's something that it, for the whole community, right? Like one person spoils it for everyone, basically. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know the the true story behind it because the, uh, e- Ekugan is still fighting this, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, as well, if you get banned from a live service game, that kind of is it, right? Yeah, you're not going to put in another 2,000 hours to get back to where you were, right? The devs kind of have the fine... And, and you can't if you're a big streamer. The devs would know. Yeah, 100%. So, so. interesting to say. I guess we won't hear any more from Bungie, but will this go any further? Like, will we see a streamer will take Bungie to court to, or something? Yeah, the, galvanize it or yeah, something. Will the community burn yeah. it down? Like, who knows? Um, this story, I'm very, very pleased about this story. So the play date, total whiplash. Yeah. Yeah. The, the tiny little, we're going to make an indie game handheld with a crank on the side. Also we're the people that make FTP software. We're the ones making it right. I remember when this was announced, I was like, this is crazy. I need to have this. So I put my money down. I still don't have mine yet. It's not here yet. It's apparently oh, going to arrive. you're in the latter half of the... Yeah, yeah I think uh, it's arriving... Um, I think it's arriving in about a month or two. But anyway, they've announced that they've sold 53,000 units, which has doubled their initial sales expectations. And the first 20,000 of them sold out in 20 minutes. So that's pretty <laughs> neat. That's super neat. So for those who don't know, this uh, on screen here is the uh, Playdate. It's this tiny little yellow device that's developed by Panic and uh, engineered by Teenage Engineering, who make a bunch of really cool synthesizer um, music equipment that's super stylish, right? Um, And yeah, it's a black and white screen, kind of like a Kindle screen, really. And there's just a bunch of tiny little weird, quirky games from like unknown developers, but also some pretty big developers um, on this thing. And the idea is that you got it and it delivered you new games every week for an entire season. So like seven weeks, 24 games or something like that. Um, and now they've just released, uh, a couple of weeks ago, an online store. Um, so they're now selling small games, which means people that have been using the, uh, SDK for the device. So now able to make some money outside of itch to have an official play date app. And, um, they're talking about like expanding it out. Like pe- developers are really getting behind this thing. Like it's super niche. Um, and I happen to fit right in that niche. And I'm, I'm really excited and happy to see that it's getting as much support because it means that there should be more games and things coming out for it for a long time to come. Yeah. This, this, this is a, um, everything could go wrong project where everything went right. It was like I was like that project of why are you making this? <laughs> it's like, and why is like a company that makes you know FTP software thinking they can make a handheld game console? And they did it. They made it work through a global parts shortage. I might yeah, add, which is part of why the waiting list is like so blown out. I think they've been pretty upfront about that in their yeah. developer updates, yeah. like. I think they've sure. gone about it in the the best way. Like every time there's yeah. been an issue, they've been like, "We didn't know what the hell we were doing." Like here's yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- this struck strikes me all the time as a we want this to happen more than we fear not knowing how to make this happen. Yeah, hundred percent. Which right. is a which is a vibe. I yeah. That's, you don't that's see a, that in a, a mainstream passion, video games very often, right? That's so. that's a passion you want to see, and it's so risky with hardware. Yeah, 
it's so much riskier than just a game. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I feel like, and that's why this number is as low as it is, right? Fifty-three thousand is absurdly high for what this is. But like, you know, if you're used to like video game numbers, it's like, oh, that's nothing, and it is. But this should have failed, like by all sensible metrics, this should have failed, and they did everything right. Like yeah. very smart and talented people behind the project, and it it worked out. It'd be interesting. I definitely can't wait to get my hands on. I, I've used one in person, like super cool, because a few of my friends have theirs and I don't have mine yet. But yeah, it's super I'm surprised neat. by what I hear of like everyone is like, oh, it's surprisingly more sturdy than they expect. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. like, percent. Because it, um, it it looks it looks like one of those like '90s just like sellout. You know, like movie tie-in standalone game things. Yeah, nine-nine-one yeah. games. Yeah, those things. Uh, but it's it's much better designed than that. From everything I've, I've never had hands on one, but yeah. Yeah. So okay. I don't awesome. know. We maybe we'll do some sort of video um, when mine eventually arrives for the channel. Um, this is a pretty interesting one. So, uh, and by the name of this show, you know that we're talking about Netflix uh, for a good portion here. But former Halo Infinite creative lead Joseph Staten has joined a Netflix game. Um, so yeah, basically, uh, Jason left uh, Microsoft a couple of weeks ago. Announced it on Twitter um, and said that he was leaving. He'd been working on the Halo series since 2000. He had a bunch of different roles, both at Bungie and 343. Um, and he rose up to be the head of creative during Halo's halo infinite's rocky development um and then he just said i'm i'm done i'm leaving microsoft and i was like what what's going on and he was talking about you know stay tuned and then yeah a week or two later he's announced that he's joining uh netflix games to work on a triple a multi-platform release uh this is super interesting with with no other information yet right like uh, that's all we know all we know it's an original ip that's the only other thing we know yes that's that's the big yeah yeah, he said, in my work life, there's nothing I love more than collaborating with others to build worlds filled with iconic characters, deep mysteries, and endless adventures. Now, that's kind of interesting because he did start out as a writer, as the writer and director of cinematics for the first Halo. So he has some writing and directing experience, um, not just like game direction, but can come up, you know, like with an original world. Like Halo was an original world at that point. He wasn't playing yep. in established fiction, right? Um, yep. But what's more interesting is that I don't even care about the AAA moniker. It's the fact that it's going to be a multi-platform game. So uh, for those who haven't sort of been keeping up with what Netflix is doing, they've basically been releasing pretty highly lauded indie games via mobile apps on app stores, right? So you basically... uh, Into the Breach is a great example. So that game already existed from Subset Games, hugely popular, and they released the mobile version of the game, right? So it was only on uh, the Nintendo Switch and PC, I believe. And then Netflix have done the work to release a mobile version of it uh, for tablets and phones. And when you download the app, you you open it up and it asks you to sign in with your Netflix account, right? So it's technically a free download app, but I don't think you can play it unless you sign in with your Netflix account, right? Um, and they've been doing that with a lot of existing games. And I think they've had one or two original titles as well. And I've actually been hearing just around the edges, like uh, I think it was called Pointy was like a really uh, big popular, like sort of indie game that was kicking off. That was a Netflix joint. 
They just recently partnered with Devolver to release uh, Terra Nil on on iOS and Android, um, and that's been doing really well. And I think they've had a couple of games through Devolver like that. Um, but this is their first swing at a multi-platform game, wholly original, I believe, um, and definitely their first uh, claim as a triple A. And just don't really see how this is going to work. I have concerns with Netflix, right? Like they have shown that their business model is throw money at things until something gives them money back. So it's yes. never clear when their support fronting is going to stop because it's unclear when their own KPIs are. That's not public information. That's all just Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. they have money. Like They have money. They have money. They do have money. Um, but how does this work as a, like, are they going to release as a traditional, like, you buy it product on Xbox, right? On PC. Am I going to download yeah. it from Steam and log in with my Netflix account? Because I don't think having subscriptions to, unless it's, like, a phenomenal game that's live service and really captures people, I don't think anyone's going to pay for a Netflix subscription they don't already have to play one game one triple a title a multi-platform um i i wonder about the multi-platform because you're right that's the most interesting thing but like they wouldn't do something like oh it's android and ios that's multi-platform they wouldn't do that right surely not like you can't say it's a triple a game for android and ios like at least pc has to be in that mix right i think you it maybe because if, if you include pc then that's I can see the login thing being fine. Yeah, that's doable right. there, right? If we're not talking about yeah. consoles, I think it's way yes. more doable. The other thing yes. is, like, all of the consoles have Netflix apps. Can you download the game through the Netflix app? Like, I don't know. There are ways that they could do that. I don't know. It's just there's... They, and they have experimented with that. Um, some of the Telltale games were on Netflix, like, fully playable with because oh, really? they're all just, like, binary choices. Yeah. Yeah. I played a bit of the Minecraft story on my TV. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, I yeah. forgot they did that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. But I always, I always assumed that experiment was a failure because it didn't feel good. And I don't think anyone played the games that way so that they didn't see any justification in like putting money into it. But maybe they learned something along the way and... A games thing, a games branch of your company is so hard, right? It's not I'm pointing at Amazon. Um, yeah, pointing it, at Stadia. It doesn't, you can't just get yeah. people who are high profile and yeah. expect it to you, work. You can't right? just you can't just have money and, and and throw money at a games thing and then it works. It that's not how it how it goes, unfortunately. Um, I. I hate to say I don't have faith in Netflix games yet, but, like, they're very untested, right? I don't know. Other than, like, doing some publishing, which is not the same as, like, making a game. So this is not a I don't have faith and I don't think it's going to go anywhere. It's just that I don't know where it's going to go. Yeah, it's just a big unknown. So they've been headhunting for a while. Like, I just found a post here from 10th of January this year where they're headhunting for staff for a third-person action RPG. doesn't say what platform... But they're paying up to like five hundred thousand plus benefits for for people, so they're not looking for like juniors. They're looking for top tier talent at the moment, probably because yeah. they are setting up shop from scratch, right? Exactly. Yes. Um, and there has been like a lot of high profile 
are none that I could name right now because I didn't have time to do research, but there's been quite a few people, especially just anecdotally on my LinkedIn, I've been saying, I'm joining yep. Netflix Games. I'm proud to announce I'm a producer at Netflix Games now. Like, they are doing a lot of movement, but it's going to be interesting to see, like, from a consumer side, how do we interact with that? And then, as we all know, if a Netflix show doesn't do well, it gets cancelled after season two, which might be yeah. good. It means we don't get, like, 20 sequels to games anymore, but... It's going to be interesting well, what they do with it. Like, is it going to be a bit more like Game Pass where they're releasing things like Pentiment that maybe is a bit quirky and, and different um, that wouldn't exist on a normal platform with, that, with funding from a publisher, right? Like, yeah, I, I just don't know. I just, I really don't know. The mind is very just crazy about what are they going to do here. It's also a matter of you can't just pull in producer level which are effectively top of a studio level um and then not have a culture uh that meshes with the way games are delivered because yeah you you you, we talk you talked about like if a show doesn't do well by their metrics which is it's difficult because sometimes shows take a while to get traction right but the way netflix works is that if it doesn't have numbers in its first month then it's, like, really on the block to be cancelled already. And that's very hard for creatives who make shows. That's not going to work for games. It's so much... Like, the the length of time it takes to know if a game is a successful IP is a lot longer than a month out of launch. Yes, you can have the immediate success uh, metrics, but whether it's going to be a long-term success is... Or, or even a name that's remembered, which has a lot of value, that's almost impossible to know in a month, right? Yeah. For, for a game. So Yeah. It's going to be, um, I don't know, watch this space. But what I do know is I've just in the past two months, and Terra Nil has been a big part of this, and Into the Breach was a big part of the first push. Like, it's gone from no one talking about Netflix to I'm hearing a lot of chatter of, oh, yeah, Netflix has games now. Or... Oh, yeah, that thing's on Netflix. Like, and that has changed pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. Whether they can keep up that momentum, I don't know. Um, I and, I liken yeah. this back to Amazon. Amazon Games had this exact same shift in 2016 and then a few years later again. And it's not like they've shown not, they have nothing to show for it, but um, certainly nothing as big as they wanted, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And we we are at a point where we know that the reason that failed is because... Um, the people who ran that division at the like executive level didn't know how to run it. So yeah. Uh, yeah. maybe this will go different because they have better people in charge. Fingers crossed. I definitely think it's... I would like to see more ways to access and interact with gaming content outside of just buying yeah. games off Steam. Like I'm a big Game Pass yeah. and EA Play it- has really changed my views on that personally. Um, if this works out, this is a like contender against uh, Game Pass because yeah. the way people describe Game Pass is Netflix for games, right? So if Netflix gets into this space in that same niche, then I don't know. It'd be interesting to see Game Pass having competition because they're unchallenged effectively at the moment. Yeah. Um, for for the niche they're they're trying to fill. Yeah, I mean EA which, Play is not getting any traction, which is why it's a perk of game pass game pass now right yep. so 
Yeah, yeah it's kind of interesting. Um, but even EA Play is like, unless you, you get like 10 hours with the game and then you have to buy it, unless you're signed up at the ultra expensive tier, I believe. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just going to be interesting to see what games does uh, for Netflix's mm-hmm. business, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. So this Speaking is... of EA. Yeah, <laughs> speaking of EA. Oh, that's the wrong trailer. Oh, we're having all of the uh all of the technical difficulties today. Uh so let me just transition back from there. Uh yeah, so uh American McGee. Does that name mean anything to you, Blue? No, I never played the Alice games, which is the only thing I know the name from. Yeah, I think they made one other game, but yeah. So Alice, that, uh, I, yeah, I was gonna. That's why I didn't want to like just commit to like the only game that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. yeah. So American McGee uh, has asked people to stop asking questions about Alice, following up with a confirmation that EA would simply just not let him continue this cult series. I never played the Alice games. It was always looked a bit too yeah. Tim Burton. I think they're like a platforming combat collectathon kind of deal. Like mid two thousands, I think was when it was popular, and there were yep. two games, I believe. Uh, but he confirmed this yes. in a Q and A session on his Patreon page, um, stating that he was feeling the same pain and anger as many of you, but said it was time for he and the fans to simply move on. Um, he made a public statement. Uh, he was trying to make a third game, and he made a public statement on that same Patreon said the developer had exhausted every option for getting a new Alice game made after IP holder EA reportedly decided to pass on the project based on an internal analysis of the IP basically saying no one wants this <laughs> or not enough people want this. This is not financially viable. Um, McGee doesn't own the rights. This isn't like a Tim Schafer situation where they can afford to buy the rights from EA or EA don't want to sell rights. I think EA typically hang on to their franchises um otherwise we would have seen yeah otherwise we would have seen like a new dungeon keeper by now so um yeah i think it's just a case (laughs) of anything yeah 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 anything i think it's just a case of you've got someone who made something sold it to ea and can't get the rights back and kind of sucks for fans of the the franchise Uh, i am not one of them but yeah it's just it's sad to see a, a developer like decades later wanting to make more of a thing that put them on the map and Apparently having some people that are asking for it too, but just not being able to have that support from the former publisher. Yeah, this is the other side, the other way that the Deadpool story goes, right? Where you go, hey, I have this group of people who are all very interested in this. You know, give me the permission to make this. Not even like, yeah, some funds, but like, you know, there was this like Patreon going um, to to help fight for the you know the ip the future of the franchise Mm -hmm. um but it's really hard to convince ea of any game because you're competing against fifa numbers unless you're respawn (laughs) you 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 shoot out of luck basically right yeah like how even even respawn right because like there have been some um titanfall's respawn is titanfall right yeah it's, yes right. yeah i just it, it i just was had the this game moment of just like blue what are you talking about no i just had them this moment of like i hope i'm not mixing up developers here because oh. um no, but they like, made apex you know, legends and that's it 
<laughs> if you no, want to no, read the mystery books. <laughs> what I mean is that, yeah, like, they tried to push some Titanfall stuff through, but Apex Legends was doing better. Yeah. Right? Like, like so, no. Like, the answer was no. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, yeah, it's it, you're, you're right. And, like, it brings a tear to my eye because Titanfall 2 is the best first-person uh, shooter campaign we've had since Half-Life 2 completely yeah. like inventful and and memorable and exciting and still plays great today and they just with huge budget and yeah. you know normally experimental means safe yeah uh, nothing about titanfall 2 was safe necessarily Mm-mm. Mm-mm. um but apex yeah, bringing in that so. fifa money as you said <laughs> yeah i i mean there's a problem with how many ips that are in ea stable and how unwilling they are to take risks nowadays because it feels like they've been less and less uh sorry more and more risk averse as time has gone on and they're they just hold on to all of these ips that i'm sure someone would be willing to do something with and it would never you'd never get something that rivals um fifa or battlefield money yeah that's just not how it works but you know the degrees for success for companies like this are also very skewed. Yeah, hundred like, percent, uh, right? I'm, you know, the other example I can think of is like Square Enix and um, the, Every the trio game. of Hitman, Tomb Raider, and uh, I think it was one of the Legacy of Kings. Yeah, and like all of them were considered financial failures, yeah. and like Tomb Raider was like two million copies or whatever. It's yeah. like. Yeah, they're, they're, cool. the interesting thing with Square Enix is like, oh, this is a financial failure. And then they partner with Platinum Games, make like a live service game that shuts down in its first eight months or something. Didn't even make a year. I can't even remember the name of the game, but it only shut down this year. And yeah. they they're not out there saying that was a failure. They just pretend it didn't happen. Like, mm. super weird. But, you know, that's, that's the weird math that these companies are playing. They're big enough that they are so scared of investing anything and ea is 100 in that wheelhouse as well yeah right. i think yeah it's bad luck for alice um you know it seems like that kind of franchise that embracer group would pick up and and spin out and, and <laughs> put out a title you know like if that's ea is a, short on cash one year they could just start uh you know s- sending it out the door uh chat's just remind I... me that the square enix game i was talking about was babylon fall yeah, like that thing shut down in less than a year, and like Square Enix aren't out there being like it was against our expectations. No, they're not. But anyway, no. um, yeah, Embracer could just hoover up a bunch of EA uh, content. That's so dystopian. That's such a like dystopian <laughs> thing to say because Embracer's not a good guy in the space. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, hundred percent. They would at least do something with the yeah, IP. They, they, I guess they'd palm it off to like THQ Nordic or something, right? Like, it's totally a THQ I, Nordic game. I'm so fascinated as to what would happen if EA just decided that they wanted to ha- like capitalize on some of the IP now and just had a uh, a bidding for like you know something that ha- anything they haven't touched in like 20 years let's say right and yeah. they just have that like weird hard deadline and they go yeah anything below that line we're never going to do anything with let's see if we can um you know just get rid of it but yeah EA just refuses to sell anything it's the one and it thing, doesn't make sense it's the one yeah. thing that i am actually interested to see from the abk merger and microsoft is what do they pull out i think they'll pull out stuff because they got game pass yeah. they'll pull out stuff I, to go for yeah. nostalgia play and make smaller titles like four to ten hour titles 
get a lot of... I reckon that's 100% what they're going to do with that stuff. Microsoft as a publisher is so much savvier than yeah. these, like, giant... Other giant corporations. They're all giant corporations. Yeah. But Microsoft at least knows how to play in a, like smaller scale and mm-hmm. that works out to their favor because they can do more interesting things right that's always the trade-off we understand just, when you don't want to spend money to just lose it yeah just but, get ready you know, for, what if you spend a bit less just get ready for phil spencer to walk out on the stage somewhere wearing a pitfall t-shirt you know it's coming you know what's gonna happen right uh, yeah like lost vikings is on the uh, table yeah, what was that other um, game blizzard did it was in that collection blood something is an adventure game. Oh yeah, I don't know. it's one of the older sure games. I know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rock and there, roll racing. So many, like <laughs> he. So part of it was to like be. Oh, look at how you know good we're gonna be for the industry. But I do genuinely believe Spencer when he put out the call and, and was like, "Hey, tell me what in the ABK like stable you want us to bring back if we get this this deal through." He did yeah. that last year. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And like, I do actually like he's the, he, based on his like personality and like things he's done, like based on his track record, I do believe that there was some sincerity behind that statement. Unlike um, uh, robot Andrew Wilson from EA, um, Spencer has a track record that we can back up. Like yeah. he he brought us Battletoads right yeah, like he's, he's who the hell like, makes a new battletoads game phil spencer makes a battletoads game right like he has a, a bit of a really good stuff. one like uh, a yeah. really sincere effort at revitalizing not just like bringing it back for cheap nostalgia grab it was yeah yeah um he he knows how to put the people who want to make the best game out of an ip in yeah. charge of it i think i mean yeah. they tried with phantom dust didn't work out unfortunately but you know not everything swings and roundabouts like once yeah. again, a game like Pentiment, of the quality that Pentiment was, doesn't exist without Microsoft being willing to do these experiments, right? Like, if if they're not part of the game, if uh, that studio, uh, Obsidian, are not part of the Game Pass ecosystem, right? Where are they going to find a cool million to make that game? Like, that game would not have been cheap yeah. to make. Like, even 500,000, mm-hmm. right? Like, that game comes out as a small indie title with pixel graphics with the same concept and half the length probably which would be mm-hmm. a totally fine game don't get me wrong mm-hmm. but it's really exciting to like once again i'm putting stock in things that don't exist so you know like keep that in mind but if they're willing to swing on that think about them just doing some really exciting smaller scale games that have that production quality right because yeah. i think about this a lot like when I think about indie games, it's typically I'm I'm not really playing them and enjoying them because they're made by small teams. I'm enjoying them because they focus in on an idea or a series of concepts or mechanics and yeah. they give that space, they give the game the space to just exist in that. Like, this is the thing we're going to do. I don't need to appeal to everyone on earth because I need to make $600 million, right? Yeah. I'm not playing it because I don't like polished AAA games. I love polished AAA games, right? And I'm not saying I don't like indie pixel art games, but to fuse that idea of someone that, a studio that has so much experience and a budget and polish, but make those smaller considered games, like that's a really exciting prospect that yeah, it's a different take never on happen. The, yeah. It's a different take on the AA space because like we've seen indie studios get big enough that they're like, encroaching on like big budget oh yeah look at but look at league to, of geeks two new titles they both look yeah. like that double a like huge step up from armello and armello yeah. was already 
like on the top edge of that double a tier right of what we considered that so yeah microsoft like taking the step down uh is a like great other like perspective to add to this you know if it happens like yeah because for every pentiment we get a woe long fallen dynasty right so yep 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 yep. 100% um and the last thing i have to say about ea is uh i misread alert oh they do own westwood don't they i mean westwood doesn't like not, nothing from oh, westwood well. stable exists anymore yeah so they, they do yeah it, they just had that blade yeah. runner remaster but yeah that's that's about it yeah so uh, um yeah i missed Red after, alert it was such uh, a great spin-off after i just said like oh yeah pixel art indie games we're gonna talk about a pixel art indie game uh vampire survivors uh is you know capture the hearts of everyone except me apparently uh, has a big new expansion coming out, Tales of Foscari. It's out right now. It's about $3 or something. And it's got a it's 10% really, discount. It, just like Vampire Survivors, it was is really cheap. Yeah, yeah, so adds new characters, adds new areas, adds more uh, of this um, Weapons. action. I really yeah. love this animation in the trailer. That's kind of why I threw it in here. Um, like, yep. I just, I really like yep. they're putting that into the game, um, but still not changing the art style. It kind of reminds me of when you get a NES game and get the box art and the manual art, and of course it looks nothing like it's on screen, but it was so cool. Um, no, I am a huge fan of like just the fantasy, like like yeah, yeah, yeah. Going back into the fantasy of video games of just like, what does it look like to you in your head? Yeah, hundred you know? um, percent. I do think the maps look real, a yeah. lot more complex in this, which is super cool. So yeah, when I say I I don't like vampire survivors like i like it it's just i i don't care to unlock absolutely everything and like i've mm-hmm. beaten most of the stuff with each character so it's just kind of like i don't need this 30 minutes i'd rather make you know progress in another game i'm working on but that's just me that's just a me problem yeah not a you problem um audience <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i uh don't have much desire to go back to it same as you i i got everything i wanted out of it and i'm I'm good uh i think it's really cool that there's lore in vampire survivors now yeah that's kind of that's one of the things yeah i um i definitely do appreciate it on my steam deck but you know maybe when i stop obsessing over fights in tight spaces which we'll talk about later uh, maybe i'll come back to some vampire survivors because i did get the last round of dlc the snow map kind of situation um, the other thing about it is that it's really easy to just pick up and drop. Yeah, exactly. You can respect. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, when I'm on the train, I've only got 30 minutes. Like, maybe I'll just throw a, a Vampire Survivors run in there, you know. Um, mm. But, yeah. And another release this week is uh, V Rising has a big new update. So, um, V Rising, I feel like, really grabbed... Er- kind of like... What was Stunlock's first game? It was the uh, the... 3v3 MOBA-esque game. It eventually went free to play. Battle right? Battle right, yeah. Kind of like Battle right. I feel like V Rising captured everyone's attention for a month and then no one talked about it ever again. Um, except for Andy in our Discord community. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this, they've just released a massive new update. Um, it is called... Uh, it, it's Secrets added, of Gloomrot. Secrets of Gloomrot. And it's adding in uh, Frankenstein as an enemy and a whole bunch of that sort of story stuff. 
legally distinct Frankenstein. Yeah, legally distinct Frankenstein. Yeah, so it's definitely like going into some interesting new biomes um, that includes like polluted valleys and scorched highlands and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the game's been in early access for a while, so it's the first like big, big major update. Like it was worthy enough to create a new trailer for, so they're definitely putting some some effort behind it. Um, might be enough to pull me back. Uh, I got into a fight with uh, Andy Smith in our community. Please join our community. We don't fight there all the time. It was just me and Andy fighting. But anyway, the thing I don't like about Vampire uh, V Rising was like at the time, and I, right now I'm really time starved. So like I'll play it for an hour and I'll learn a little bit and I'll get a little bit done, and then I'll come back to the server and everyone else has been able to play it for three nights in a row and has built everything, and then they're just like, "Here, I'll give you this. I'll give you this. I'll give you this," and then there's kind of nothing for me to do in the game anymore. Um, so that's kind of why I've sort of stayed away from it and Valheim because I just don't have the time for it. But this might be enough to try and make some time and sort of scope out this update and maybe make a video or something because I do think it's a really cool game and I think they're a great studio. But yeah, I think it's well put together. You, you're Honestly, not a fan. fan of the game. Yeah, you're not, not a fan. really. I know. I know. But I, I recognize the like the the quality of the game. It's just not my style of game. Yeah. Yeah. But that's going to do it for the news. A bit of a shorter one there. Um, and yeah, we will be picking up the uh, first next time. We won't have any more errors uh, with our tech. But secondly, we'll hopefully do this uh, more often than a month apart. And once again, that's I don't know. We, I, I think we can't say that until we get the second, like a consecutive, like on schedule <laughs> episode out. All right. All, I have all right. Strike that from the record. Uh, but yeah, let's uh, <laughs> jump into the, the back half of the show here. Um, where we're just going to talk about some of the games that we've been playing over this break. Um, and I'm going to kick things off with my first game, which is Hi-Fi Rush. So we were going to do a video, but life became too crazy. So I sort of was just playing this in my off time. And this game really, really just blew me away, um, literally. Mm. Uh, so those who don't know, this was a game from Tango Gameworks. It was Shinji Mikami's uh, studio uh who uh was one of the creators of resident evil um very they were famous for creating the evil within games that weren't beloved by everyone but i personally really loved um sticking to mikami's roots and then out of nowhere during an xbox conference they were like ah oh, here's this uh game called hi-fi rush it's a fully animated rhythm game that looks like a, a living anime um and it's out today on game pass from tango gameworks and everyone's kind of like what the hell is this um and it's out now is such a powerful just like set of, of sentence in the industry i think yeah it's like you know if only that worked for the satin but it didn't um <laughs> low blow uh but yeah hi-fi rush it's just it's fantastic so i'm not a huge character action gamer like i don't like you know devil may cry um i don't enjoy playing bayonetta and i i do have to say um hi-fi rush was kind of the same for me like i just don't really like that combat arena learn the combos and um and get the s rating rating like that's not fun or interesting to me so the the rhythm element of the combat here like if you hit your attacks on the beat they do like um a more more uh, damage and you can get combos going together and that did make that a little bit more interesting for me when i was just using the two combos i took the time to learn um yep. but 100 percent play this for the characters and the story and the world yeah it's just so charming um tells the story of like this 
uh, robot corporation that's kind of you know um built all the tech and taking over and has these robots and you're like this little group of people who are like um you know trying to trying to make sense of what's going on because there's something not right i'm choosing my words very carefully here and you play as kai who's kind of like a loser he's basically a loser who thinks he's going to be a rock star but he doesn't have any talent um an issue happens where he's getting his augmentation and an ipod gets stuck in his chest and he just starts seeing the world with the beat um and he has this like magnetic uh trash guitar thing that he uses to smash his enemies and um yeah it's 10 hours long um it's got some really great music both original and like music from the black keys and nine inch nails and zwan and just i was smiling the whole way through these characters really just really latched onto me and i'm not typically someone that really likes the power of friendship narrative like everyone's happy and goofy like but the tone of this game just strikes it so well and i don't know if it was a bit of that punk rock nature and a little bit of that tongue-in-cheek nature um but yeah just one of the most enjoyable single player experiences i've had in a very long time but i it's super interesting because one of the things that we missed uh, in the like big break since our last episode is that mikami left tango yeah Um, that was actually kind of bittersweet um yeah so yeah mikami left tango uh and it's unknown if he's gonna make games anymore um Mm -hmm. but he's you know he's at that age where it's could be time to retire for sure um he might take a break well earned probably yeah i think Um, the director john jonas i think is his name of hi-fi rush he's been at the studio for a long time he's also a, a, a westerner which is kind of interesting um and he'd been a big part of the evil within two apparently like it seems that mikami had been grooming him to sort of step into the role and then this was his first game that he directed for uh for tango and obviously it's very different to um you know ghostwire tokyo a game that also recently came out just came out to xbox uh this last week actually um Mm and very different from that and evil within and is probably better for it it's it's also interesting Mm. right like the out now while really powerful like if we had the typical one or two year trailer cycle for this game like i don't think it would any be anywhere near as impactful it's because it just arrived no yeah there was no expectations and you can look beyond the flaws so it's platforming not the best um it's combat like i thought it was okay i don't know where it stands it's definitely not devil may cry level of complexity right Mm um i i saw a lot of people complaining that oh the rhythm isn't integrated into absolutely every single aspect of the game even though the whole game is like moving on rhythm like the environment and everything it'd be obnoxious if it was like too rigid though i disagree yeah that's what i'm saying i disagree with that point because if you had to do everything on the rhythm like you wouldn't move half the time right um yeah so yeah i i personally think that but i do think like i would love a sequel i would love to just sort of see them perfect and push this gameplay into some different areas and also just love that it was 10 hours like it was done like it was like we were talking about it's this smaller scale but way more focused and different Mm -hmm. idea like if tango like oh we need 20 million to make this and it's going to be 25 hours long because that's how long games have to be now to be quote unquote long enough um 
you know, then I don't think this game would have been anywhere near as good. Like it was done before it wore out yeah. as welcome for me. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, absolutely fantastic. It's out on Game Pass on PC and Xbox and probably X Cloud, but I probably would not stream this one considering it's a rhythm game and yeah, you need that. But um, yeah, I if you're not going to play it, I would definitely even just consider looking up the just the cutscenes on YouTube, like just watch watch the story unfold. Um, yep. Yeah, I think also like. <sighs> A game that I really love, and I'm I'm kind of worried to go back to it, so I haven't. But Sunset Overdrive, right? Mm. I Sunset Overdrive was the first time I, I distinctly remember this. This was part of the uh, Xbox One uh, launch um, window, and they showed that first trailer from Insomniac, and you know it was this really gorgeous cartoony like it was shooting like these cannons that had the words boom coming out of it and this orange soda like substance and it was the yep. first time that when i got the game it was exactly like that trailer in the world like there were all of these like flourishes that you only really ever see in a cgi trailer like you know when you're playing diablo right you have those cgi moments of cutscenes, but then you're yep. in the game and it's like this was like one-to-one game cutscene they're the same now right yep. and that i had that same feeling it's probably just the colorful nature of hi-fi rush but the animation style and speed between cutscene and gameplay seamless absolutely amazing um just really engrosses you in that world it felt like i was watching a tv show that i sometimes got to control so um yeah cannot speak highly enough and it's a game that's not in my wheelhouse it's a game i typically wouldn't have any interest in and i ended up really loving it so consider checking it out blue i want to talk i want you to tell me about wild frost mm-hmm. tell me about it wild frost is i i is it fair to say that like card based roguelike is just a genre now uh, I think it's fair to say card. Yes, yes. I think that's more. Yeah, yeah that's that's a genre, it, and that's every game needs cards in it. Descriptive enough. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a card based roguelike. Um, and the thing that like really catches your attention at first glance is that it's really. <laughs> this is gonna be a funny. It's really charming, right? Like it has this very intentional aesthetic design, and everything fits really well. I say this because sometimes uh, with indie games, you don't quite get the aesthetic all the way there. Mm. Do you get what I mean when I say that? Yeah. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. feel like um, Wild Frost knows what it wants to look like, feel like, sound like, and it got there. Um, <laughs> Slay the Spire, like, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, it, it's... So that's what ca- caught my attention in the first place. Of just like it, it's so good. Uh, it doesn't just look like a Slay the Spire clone, which is a, a really important thing because a lot of games for a while looked like that, right? You saw it and you went, "Oh, that just reminds me of Slay the Spire." But I think uh, we're, we've, we're coming far enough away now in time and in in development space that uh, we can get games that are competent, like very, very like well put together now. Um, so that's what caught my eye. And then I played it, and it's it does my head in because <laughs> I want to break the game. I want to be able to like do a bunch of things and then have the game systems like bend over for me. Um, but the game is very good at keeping the player in check because 
the main thing, which I think is so smart, is that everything functions on a like very rigid turn-based system. And what that means is every time you play a card, there's a timer, and that steps forward. And the timer controls everything on the board at once. Your like friendly units and the enemy friend uh, enemy units at the same time all tick down at once. So you, it's really hard to cheat actions out. And the game knows that it wants to make that hard for you, so you don't, you aren't able to just do like fifty things at once, and then trivialize fights. There's always the the enemy is always going to be able to take swings on you, and in a game of attrition, um, you can lose. Like like it's it's much easier to get the player to lose when they are forced to make concessions, and that. It's such a great design space because it means that they can be fast with it. Mm -hmm. So you don't sustain damage between battles. Every time you go into a battle, you're fully healed, right? Which is already different from a lot of, like, roguelikes. It means that every battle must, in theory, be winnable from, you know, from the tool that you have. But, like, not true because it's a roguelike. Mm -hmm. You can 100% not have the right synergy and strength going into a fight. And, uh, yeah, it ramps up. It ramps up real quick. And that's... I don't know. It, it's that such explains a, a lot of things. Uh, backlash on Steam reviews, I think, then. Um, yeah. So reading... Yeah, it's we, Blue has a write-up typical. going on the website uh, later today or tomorrow, but reading what you're saying here about this, like, the countdown ticking, like, that is definitely a big sort of mindset shift on how to interact with the game compared to um, Slay the Spire, right? Which a lot of people are coming to this because it's a... I really hate that Slay the Spire has been... It's the Dark Souls of of that sort of game. Like, oh, it's a Slay the Spire-like. It's like, just because it has cards and it's a roguelike, like, there are so many... Like, even Griftlands is nothing like Slay the Spire, right? But I get it. But anyway, I think... um, like I was, I was gonna purchase the game. I haven't purchased it yet, but I was reading the Steam reviews because, like, this looks really great. Like, it reminds me a lot of Adventure Time in terms of its style. Um, mm-hmm. But then I was reading like a lot of people was like, "This game's way too hard and unbalanced." But then a lot of people were like, "This game's really, really great." And then like really digging into those reviews, I'm like, "Oh, these people all thought it was like Slay the Spire, and when it's not and it's yeah. hard, they're like writing a bad they, review." And then reading yeah, your they, review and what you're telling me here now, it's like that's actually a really smart design decision of how to handle these encounters. But I can also see how, oh, this isn't what I was expecting, and being really put off no. by that, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the standard run looks to be short, and I haven't finished standard run yet. Coming mm-hmm. up on about ten hours of play. Uh huh. Um, but it it really the structure is very simple. It's it's uh two battles boss two battles boss two battles and i think then it's the final boss i think Mm -hmm. um that's not a lot that's nine fights and in between every one of those you always have an opportunity to tweak and add to your deck to make it um stronger and you Mm -hmm. need that you really need that the enemies scale up very fast um the other thing that's like really impressive about wild frost is it knows how to use numbers Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's such a stupid thing to say, but yeah, like, so before follow you follow me on this, yeah, before yeah. before you get, I know what you're about to say because I read your thing because I'm editing it, but I just yeah. started playing Darkest Dungeon again, and it yeah. too has extremely low yeah. numbers. So I get it. I yes. get exactly what you're about to tell people. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. Um, like the the power. Ever since I like started playing card games, like extensively i was gonna say seriously that's not true like <laughs> extensively uh i'm like super fascinated with the design of card games um the power of the number one how much does something change by increasing the number just by one is something that a lot of games don't want to deal with so they just inflate the numbers a bit and like it works out it is really easy to make something feel better uh, by just like inflating things out but if you want your like choices to like, have real meaningful impact when you play in the small number space oh it's it's rough um because what's the difference between dying in one hit to two hits you know like it's that we're talking about that kind of stuff what's the difference between my ability goes off this turn i freeze the board and i get an extra turn on top of that uh which means another thing can attack you know so uh, Wild Frost has, like, really smart number design. And some of it is impossible, which is, like, really great. It's a it's a space that can only exist in roguelikes, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can make encounters impossible. Yeah. Uh, because it just means you didn't prep well enough. The RNG didn't go your way. You didn't get the cards you needed. You didn't get the build you needed. Like, your synergies didn't get off the ground. And here's the other thing that I, like, can't really get across in the review very easily. It's just, it's quick to restart. Um, You know, it's... I had the thought of, like, it's not quite, but it reminds me of... You know how Super Meat Boy is, like, quick to just restart when you fail? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, like, Wild Frost is is as close to that as you can get for, like, a thoughtful card game. I, That's cool. I feel like. Is there, like, yeah, a meta progression is, between runs? There is. There is. You unlock stuff. And I don't have a lot unlocked, um, mm-hmm. I will say. So there's a lot of that involved, which is what I want to add to the review of, like, in yeah. terms of, like, content. Um... There is a meta progression, but it's only in terms of what you unlock. Uh, your starter decks are always the same, and you get access to three different ones. You start with one, and you slowly get access to more. Mm-hmm. So I don't think any deck is stronger than the other. It's just like a different tool set. And yeah, And you get cool. like specific cards to each one. Yeah. So it's much more roguelike than light. You mm-hmm. don't just boost your power level as a standard thing outside of a run. Um, which is good. So yeah, I think I... I think it's a really smart game. Um, which is not... Because a lot of games are in this space now. I don't tend to feel like they're doing anything like crazy impressive most of the time. Um, and Wild Frost is smart. I, I don't know if I'm... Yeah, I'm impressed. I'm definitely impressed by the the marriage of just like really, really good aesthetics with very solid game design. Yeah. Yeah, I... Highly recommend <laughs> I think I've said this before. I've definitely told you before, but my big problem with Slave Aspire and um, Monster Train, which was sort of the two big mainstream successes in this space recently, or I guess at the start of the boom, right? Mm, um, yeah. I just don't care for the art styles at all. I don't care for the monster mm-hmm. design, but Slave Aspire's yep. mechanics are so just solid and good and fun to break, essentially, that that carried me through to completion for that game. I never finished Monster Train. Yeah. Um, but then Grifflands comes along and Grifflands has the setting that I love. It's a sci-fi game. It has like interesting new mechanics through its negotiation combats. Oh, so um, good. Yeah. And it has narrative. I was like, cool. I never want to play Slay the Spire again. See you later. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, the game that I'm about to talk about that I'm playing a lot right now is, um, Fights in Tight Spaces is another one of these where it's, oh, this is like a card game but tactics based because it's positional based 
um and uh it's your secret agent and you're fighting in biker bars and all sorts of stuff that's super neat um and wild frost is another one of these where it's like that art style really speaks to me i like i like the idea of going off into the wilderness in the snow like that's definitely Mm -hmm. um something that i think i just want to see more of these games step away from dragons and and slimes and and uh heaven and hell because i feel like that's all that exists in this space right now largely um but yeah i'm glad that it worked out i'm glad that you got to check it out and and enjoyed it so yeah um but yeah so i was going to talk about this uh new game um that's on my radar i've only played uh half an hour of it though so i'm gonna not really talk about it but i'm just gonna say shard punk verminfall go check out a trailer it's pretty neat it's uh basically steampunk xcom pixel art um with rats uh vermintide meets xcom steampunk let's go with that um I will probably do a review of this one, uh, but I'm only 38 minutes in, so I've only done the opening two missions, but seems pretty neat. Seems pretty cool. So we'll talk about that in the next episode more than likely. Um, But yeah, I've been playing Fights in Tight Spaces again. So this is a game from Ground Shatter Games. I think it's their first release um, published through Mode 7 and Biffle Games. Um, And yeah, it's it's a positional-based, like, tactics grid, sort of like dioramas of little rooms um and uh you're a secret agent and kind of like you said you have starting decks that are always the same you can choose like they're basically fighting styles right so there's balance defensive aggressive and um the one that i've been playing now is slasher so they got blades they cause bleeding damage and speaking to undead pixel on our community who's played a lot of this game he's finished it completely changed the way i was thinking about it because i played so much slay the spire uh whoever the first character is um that really taught me to i i forget the name i think it's the banished or the tarnished or something no the tarnished is Ring. i don't know he's got a bad name but anyway um (laughs) you block right block is your priority and then you attack if you have enough uh mana left over right um i was doing that and then undead's like don't do that burn your block cards get rid (laughs) of them and just go aggressive and go positional and so yeah, yeah i've been like it's completely changed i got nearly to the end of the third uh district of a run so there are like five districts ironclad thanks mesma it's the ironclad from um slayers mm-hmm. Bar. anyway um so yeah i don't block anymore and the cool thing with fights in tight spaces is um you can like swap positions so there's like a card called swap where you literally grab the dude by the scruff of his shirt and like switch position with him so like you stand in front of one guy here you switch position with another guy here put him in front he hits him into the wall which bounces him off but he's got a gun so he shoots him for 12 and it's like this puzzle of how can i get them to kill themselves and i don't even have to lift a finger that's kind of my strategy at the moment and that's really changed the way that i interface with the game um yeah and the the really cool thing like the way that i explain it is it's kind of like john wick like it feels like you're doing a lot of john wick fights um but turn-based with cards and then when you finish the fight there's like show replay and it actually plays out the whole fight um which is kind of neat um the turn-based like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it just plays it all here i mean everyone's still walking on the grids and stuff so it looks goofy but it also looks super cool and it has the super hot art aesthetic so like just red and black on a white background kind of thing 
um mm. i really did enjoy the game a lot i played like maybe eight hours or so i'm like 20 something hours now so like i've already dumped mm-hmm. over 10 hours in just a week and a bit um it's kind of like at night i'll i'll sit on the couch and i'll do a run on my steam deck and just try and get through that's the one criticism i have is the runs are long like really long like hour and a half and i'm only at like three quarters of the way through the third district there's still two more districts i haven't unlocked um you can start at any district but you don't get any of the upgrades so it makes it really hard and also i don't sound advisable no and i'm also like i love roguelikes so like i want to do the like when i do the one run like i'll finish the game and i won't play it again i don't need to finish it with every deck i just want to finish the run ones um of course but yeah super cool game I, i really like it it's a couple of years old now um, but yeah, fights in tight spaces is super neat. Um, I guess you're... It always gave me the impression that it had a very large variety of combat style, which is not easy. Yeah, and they know. all feel really interesting. And yeah. another thing from Slay the Spire that I was taught is like burning cards. Oh, like, this is just card games in general, right? You want to have the smallest yep. deck so you can be efficient. Burn cards you don't need. Get new cards, burn the old ones, right? Like we, we yeah. kind of do the same when we play across the obelisk, which is a new series we'll be starting soon on, on YouTube. Hopefully. But anyway, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, burn the cards. And this, like, I don't really need to do that because almost every card is helpful and usable. Like unlike other decks, like I'm getting to like where I die in a run with like a massive deck, but I'm never in a turn where my hand doesn't help me out. Whereas... Mm-hmm. Slay the Spy, you get a handful of block and no attack. Like, you can't really do anything with that, right? Um, I don't know what that means for the way this is designed. And maybe it's just the tactical positional element makes it more advantageous to have a bigger deck. I I think it is, like, there's more dimensionality in the game. Yeah. So it means that when the deck doesn't do your immediate goal, you have a sub-goal. Yeah. So if you don't immediately get to kill someone, you can position better. You can, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and it's not like um like uh deep sky derelicts is kind of a mix between this and um darkest dungeon but like darkest dungeon you you're only moving position like forwards or backs in your line of attack like this is in a 3d space like kind of like a fire emblem style game right like it's not yeah. a top-down view but it is like that grid and you got to move around the furniture and everything so yeah, yeah. super neat game definitely it takes a while to get your head in that space but once you start unlocking good cards super addictive um but speaking of addictive blue you're you're in diablo you're hanging out in diablo 3 are you saying goodbye is that you're doing like one final hurrah or kind of um i saw diablo 4 beta out and a lot of people playing it and i like checked out some of how it looked i i'm not a fan of diablo 4's look uh, and I think a big part of that is just, like, I've become so acclimatized to how Diablo 3 looks. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it... I don't know. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it looks bad. Mm-hmm. It's just... I've played so much of 3 that I'm very comfortable in that now. Diablo 4... It feels like it doesn't yet have an aesthetic identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Diablo 3 started here as well. So I have confidence that they'll get there. Um, but it, it, it it's one of those things of like, yeah, Diablo 3 is the best it's ever been at the moment. Uh, and Diablo 4 is new, right? So it's not, in my mind, it's not quite as good yet. Yeah. So I just went back to Diablo 3. Because I haven't played a season in Diablo 3 in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I thought now was a great time to like go back. Because 
this sounded fun. Uh, every season in Diablo 3, um, which lasts a variable amount of time, um, has a gimmick. And the gimmick of season 28, which is the current season, is that you get to like sacrifice certain things, uh, and sometimes they're like, you know, important things, uh, or, or like powerful things. Uh, and then you get permanent buffs throughout the season. And a lot of them are just quality of life stuff. So it's been really fun to just be like, oh yeah, my maximum movement speed, I'm sorry, my base movement speed is double what it normally is. You know? That's pretty uh, you know, Yeah, it, it's just small things that augments the way um, you approach the grinding. Mm-hmm. And then significant power boosts because they are asking you to sacrifice important things they can give you like a significant like yeah you just get like 15% more damage against bosses now that kind of thing stuff you know which really feels powerful and it allows you to push very much further in the like season content much quicker um the other thing about Diablo 3 seasons that I really like is like unlike Path of Exile where like if you play a Path of Exile season you're ex- you you know you can expect to sink a couple of months into it and it's like a great time because it's very like interesting to slowly build your character out and, or potentially even start new characters and build them out over a couple of months or whatever Diablo 3 seasons for me they last like 30 to 50 hours on the high end um, I'm currently sitting at like 36 hours on this current season character which has been over like three weeks or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and I'm about done. Like, yeah, you know, right. that's why uh, that's why I really like Diablo three seasons because, like, yeah, it's it's a couple of weeks, maybe a month of like play where I can like watch a a, a, a like YouTube D and D campaign while I'm playing it, mm-hmm. and then I'm done, and I don't have to play every season. I as I said, I missed three seasons. I hadn't played for a couple of years, um, but you can just step back in, like. So Diablo 3 is in such a great space. Uh, Diablo 4 has huge shoes to fill, in my opinion. But, you know, everything that I've seen shows that they're taking a lot of the design considerations and lessons that they learned from uh, 3, which then went into Immortals, which is now going into Diablo 4. Yeah. So Ooh, Immortals. that is, yeah, that's why I was in Diablo 3 again, because yeah. it, it's like easy, yeah. silly fun. I am good. I'm pretty keen for D4. I didn't touch the beta. I want to go in. I want to go in dry. I haven't watched any trailers outside of that first reveal. Um, mm. Pretty keen. I I played through D3 with you and Chimey, right? And maybe uh, Rice. Some of it, sure. Yeah. Probably. I th- I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. At least Reaper of Souls was with you. Sure. Yeah. 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 Did we that- finish the campaign? or? Yeah, I finished Diablo 3, so it must have been with you. Because I I would ne- I didn't play it alone. I hundred percent didn't play it alone, and I can't imagine. I don't think that was my it. first playthrough. Because no, I'm pretty sure my first playthrough was you alone, power yeah. leveled us. I'm pretty sure. Oh okay yeah fair <laughs> yeah yeah. I love power leveling in Diablo three. It's yeah. it's unlike any power leveling I've done before, and I've I have I've played like private server MMOs where you like hit a thing and you hit like max level. Uh-huh. So it's like it and it's and it feels different to even that you know it, it's such a like visceral feeling for both being power leveled and to power level someone yeah it's yeah yeah, yeah it's super cool, cool. I'm, I'm definitely keen to to jump into d4 uh with you um when it when it comes out because it's such a stupid thing for my head of like oh, i don't like that 
they're like ignoring the lore and everyone's like what lore it's Diablo and I'm like I know it's stupid <laughs> but it feels bad it's alright you can use our forums to uh just dump random bits of lore, lore knowledge it's it was just the weirdest I don't know there, there weird things live in my head of uh-huh. like you know lore of video games and, and, and media and franchises it's I mean, completely I think, useless. I think that's funny. the thing for Diablo Three is I can't tell you anything about it at all except Deckard Cain's like stay a while and then dies and there's a fallen star and then I got pretty armor. Like I can't tell you anything else. And Diablo is probably the devil. I think we killed the devil. Did we even kill Diablo? I don't know. But uh, the the point is that you can't kill it. It's 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 a commentary on how you can't get rid of it. Except that. Diablo is so flawed in its, like, world. Like, I, I think it's, like, a fifth grader's interpretation of good and evil, you know? Like, well, and, like, I mean, it was made at that time when video yeah. games were that, right? Because, like, that first game is, like, 90... I want to say 93? Maybe... Sure. It, maybe it's 95? definitely that era. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and it's... And that's definitely part of the charm, right? But, God, I really... There's an angel that you meet named Imperius mm-hmm. and I am still upset that we never got the chance to smack him because he was very rude to us in the <laughs> campaign and I just oh man I really wanted him to turn heel so that we could have a boss fight and I could just kill him but it didn't oh, sorry. happen maybe we got can make Malthiel him instead Ugh. yeah I think that's the thing that turns I... me off it's all those names the, the weird names that I can't pronounce that turns me off any media 100% <laughs> Why can't I just be called Greg? Greg the Wise or something. Like, yeah, I don't know. Well, Malthus the Angel of Death, so it'd be like Greg the Angel of Death, which is not horrible, right? (laughs) It works. It's very, yeah, it's very anti-Donna humor. Um, (laughs) I, I, I just disliked that they felt the need to escalate. I felt the base game went, you know, very good, and then they're like, oh, no, you fight the Angel of Death. And I'm like, this doesn't really feel like a step up, but you're trying to make it feel like a step up. Uh huh. But so, you gotta, you gotta. Basically, admit, though, what I'm Reaper saying is, Souls is a like top tier name for an expansion. Like that's such a good absolutely name. like great expansion name. But just the setup of it, it's so hard, right? Because they made a great story, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, when you pay attention to the subtext <laughs> in the base game, which is why like Diablo Four now feels weird. I hope that you have to fight the main character in Diablo 3. <laughs> like, because it's a setup for them to be a villain. Yeah. Because that's all Diablo always is, right? Diablo is always a setup for the previous protagonist to be a villain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's fine. Yeah. Cool, I guess we'll find anyway, out. Anyway. It's coming out soon, right? Like, next June. month? Oh, June, yeah. yeah. I want to say, say June. So I reckon we pick it up... A lot of things up, are in June. We pick it up at the end of June, because by then they would have sorted out the server issues. We'll see. Yeah, I'm definitely not. Uh, I haven't pre-ordered. I don't intend on getting it day one. I'm going to see yeah. how it pans out. So my, I never played. I played D one on PlayStation for about an hour at a friend's house, right? And I didn't know what it was, and that was long before I played anything fantasy. As you can just tell from my Greg the Angel of Death bit, I'm not huge into fantasy, so sure. it wasn't hugely on my radar. I never played D two. Still haven't played D two to this day. Um. But D3, the only reason I played it was because I was, it was one of my first weeks as a journo full time. And they sent me out to yep. JB Hi-Fi to get copies of it 
like i went to a store to buy a pc game and yep. then we installed it and like we planned this big like video thing which this was before capture cards were a really easy thing to have and we just couldn't get in and it was like that for days we could not play the game at all and that was like just my memory of Diablo 3 so Diablo 4 I'm um, like end of the month after launch I'm not picking it up day one but I am very excited to play it took Diablo 3 three weeks to stabilize yeah it was the, yeah. that and uh Brink both same issues except Brink was not a good game um <laughs> so, Diablo 3 wasn't on launch either yeah yeah well yeah that too uh, a game I have been playing, the last one I'm going to talk about is Against the Storm. So this is a game that was recommended to me in our Recommend Us an Indie channel on our Discord. So you should come and find other cool indie games over there. But uh, Undead Pixel and Snark from our community were like, you should check this out. Um, I have not played a lot of city builders in my life, but recently I really got into Frostpunk and I played through a lot of that and kind of piqued my interest in, oh, what other kind of not sim city style city builders are there out there and um yeah. they both recommended me this so it is a dark fantasy city builder game that has roguelike elements so it's like oh that's kind of neat um where basically the the world has uh, had a calamity um there's like this volcanoing thing that's burning down the city basically um and you start a run by spreading out from what's called the smoldering city which is kind of where the scorched queen lives and you make new settlements in these lands and they all have different like depending where you choose and the hex square on the world map they have different like um, properties and stuff uh like low farming or this one might have a lot more rain and all this sort of thing um and you create these these cities and you are given requests from the scorched queen like every it feels like every 10 minutes that you need to fulfill like it might be like oh build like this much rainwater and then pack it up and ship it back to the uh, imperium or um oh we need coats so make sure that you build this thing and you're making coats and there's always like a choice of what you're going to do so there's always two things so yeah. it's kind of like that roguelike thing of you do this you'll get this as a reward or you'll get this like permanent buff um for your yeah. city um and you kind of maybe the- it not choosing the optimal choice all of the time you might be choosing the easiest choice because i already have the requirements uh for instance or that one's gonna take me way too long because yeah. the longer that you're not fulfilling her requests she has an impatience meter and if that gets to the end uh, it's game over um and then you have to keep your citizens happy so your citizens are actually different races so there's like humans and beavers and um lizards and that's who i have at the start and i know there are more races in the game as well and they all work together fine so they're not like hating on each other or anything but like lizards like to uh they're good at hunting for meat and they like certain types of food and their happiness goes up based on that and you can unlock houses that are specific for beavers because they like to live in these little wooden houses as opposed to the settlements so you're kind of unlocking that and you're trying to manage that system over there and then allocating your workers to the proper establishments that you build because like humans are better at farming and beavers are better at woodcutting and engineering and these sorts of things so there's a lot going on there and it's super neat and it does it in a really sort of confined way and it promotes experimentation through these quests and things that you're getting um and the good thing is like the the big appeal the reason why the city games have not appealed to me in the past is 
oh, what? I build a big city and then what? What's the point? Yeah. Like yeah. you, you put the cheat code in for Godzilla to come break it down or like that. I am a very, um, uh, I guess goal orientated gamer is something yeah. I've worked out. I need a goal to work towards. So mm-hmm. these, um, settlements, like it takes you maybe like an hour to complete your goals. You get your XP and you get out or you fail. And, and I don't know what happens yet. Cause I haven't failed just yet. But it's good yeah. because I have these objectives of what I need to build and I can still have experimentation and fun on the side. And that's been really rewarding for me. But having some direction, right? Like it's a big thing with yeah. Minecraft. There's no direction for me of what I need to do. Here there is. It's like, oh, we we need these things. So go do those things and then do some other cool stuff on the side. Um, so it's in early access. They're releasing updates every two weeks. And they actually just dropped a major update, which added a new biome and a new species of animal. And this, they're running a big sale at the moment. So it's 25% off, I believe. And this will be the cheapest the game will ever be. Um, so if it does take your fancy, if you like what you see, you should jump in on it now. The sale ends at the end of the month. Um, they've been saying since the game first came into early access that they were going to update the price um, eventually. And now they're running this big sale and like, that's it. And then the price is going up for everyone. Um, so yeah, I think this is definitely, they've got a track record of releasing consistent big updates. I think this is a team definitely worth supporting um, with your, with your money. If this is your kind of jam. Um, and just the art style is super dope. It looks like Warcraft three. It's got that big sort of black uh, outlines and colorful buildings. And just, it looks like a place I want to hang out in, which is kind of neat. And um, the music is absolutely fantastic too. It's actually replaced my Risk of Rain 2 daily listening. So now when I play Risk of Rain, I won't have PTSD from work. Um, So yeah, Against the Storm, highly recommend it. And Blue, you're gonna... the funniest thing, just like associating Risk of Rain with... Risk of Rain with work. work. Which is is very fair. Very fair. It's just so funny because Risk of Rain is my like... Yeah, relax game? Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I love Risk of Raid. I absolutely yeah, do. Yeah, but yeah. I know, like, I know. But yeah, every I know. time I play it now, I know I'm just it, like, oh, I've got that deadline I need to meet. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, Take us home yeah, with I your song, uh, sounds great. rating. Oh, rating sure. bullshit. <laughs> I did. Have you heard of the critically acclaimed MMORPG <laughs> Final Fantasy XIV with a free trial that includes the entirety of Reborn and was, the award-winning Heaven's Word expansion? Up. I was this close to signing up to try my new monitor, but I did it. Which, until the end of the month, includes as well Stormblood as a free-to-play thing. Um... Which is why that I picked that as the thing to show in the background, because uh, Stormblood trailer is very pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been just this past couple of weeks preparing for a an old Savage raid, but still a Savage raid. Um, Final Fantasy fourteen is cool. I don't play it very much these days. I like maybe do a few like weekly login things, uh, and I you know might consider when the next like uh, subscription comes up to like maybe pause it for a bit. But um, I signed up like a month or so ago to be like, oh, yeah, if people are going to do this Savage Raid, um, I am like super down to, uh, you know, participate because mm-hmm. how do I put it? Um, <laughs> the normal stuff in Final Fantasy 14 has a normal cap of 
24 people, which is a lot of people, right? That's the biggest raid that you can normally do. Um, I have signed up for uh, Delibrum Regine Savage, which is one of the few raids in it which has the um, old World of Warcraft cap of 48 people. Mm-hmm. Wrangling 48 ADHD murder hobos in a like voice call is a nightmare and it's not something that you know you really want to do with just a pickup group so um I I signed I on to that I can't even organize four people the uh, six people for a destiny right like I can't even imagine the coordination well the thing is that if you do this raid, you get a cool mount. <laughs> so, oh. so people are interested. Like, yeah. no, like very genuinely, it's like MMO mentality, right? Is there a cool mount? Cool, I'm in, right? <laughs> um, but this is, this, is, this is a cool raid. I really like this raid. Um, the normal version of this raid is very fun because um, you will tend to be overpowered as heck when you go into it. And the normal version of it, you don't have to run 48. And the game boosts you depending on how many people you are running. So, like, arguably, it's more efficient to run five people to run the 48-man raid because you get the maximum amount of, like, the game just goes, oh, you're not meant to be here with this number. Here, take all of this, like, stats, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So you get to, like, brute force it that way. But then the, the raid is still kept honest because it has a bunch of... Like, throughout the raid, it's consistent of this mechanic of just, if you get hit twice by a move that you should have been able to dodge, you die. Right. Like, Damn. You, you, the first time you get hit, you get hit by a, a debuff called Twice Come Ruin. The second time you get hit, you get a Doom thing, and in, like, three seconds, you just keel over and die because you weren't good enough. Uh, it's not hard to avoid these things, and <laughs> I frequently do this thing. But still, that's a really cool mechanic, right? Of just yeah, you have all these stats. You're not gonna die from taking damage. Yeah. However, if you get hit twice by this thing that you should be able to avoid, you die. So, um, the savage raid is yeah. There's a bunch of thrice come ruins, so it's a bit more lenient. Uh, where you know if you get hit three times, but every time. They give you more like damage down, which means you're going to take longer to do the raid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, now you can die from health damage. And also, also, <laughs> this is a special category of raid where they don't allow you to resurrect easily. Uh huh. You can't use. You can't just use mana to resurrect. You have to like use a limited resource to resurrect. So mistakes are awesome. punishing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are four boss encounters. The realistic expectation of a group that's never run this before, which is what this group is going to be, is that uh, on this coming Sunday, which is when this is going to be, we are only practicing and hoping to get up to boss to clear boss two out of four. Mm-hmm. That's like a three-hour session. Yeah. What time this are you is waking not... up for this? No, no. It's like uh, in the afternoon because I play on the Oceania server, so most ah, of the people okay, are yeah. on Australia time. Yeah. Yeah, nice. it's very good. Um... This is not even, like, anywhere close to the hardest stuff in the game. The ultimate raids, like, some... Ultimate raids are much smaller groups. Ultimate raids are um, eight-man. And some groups take months to clear one fight. Uh, So... Did you just say eight months to clear one fight? months not necessarily eight months but like months i know of one instance where their group took six months to clear 
like one fight. Um, so I'm not doing anything like near this level yet, but this is still a savage raid and there's a lot of prep that goes into it. I have been spending a bit of time learning it. It's been kind of fun. Uh, also, uh, this is taking place in a like alternate game mode of Final Fantasy uh, <laughs> where it's like you get all these like broken overpowered stuff that just breaks the math a bit we talked about like small number breaking in like wild frost Mm -hmm. this is like big number breaking where normally in final fantasy you are you know a tank can hold a group of i don't know six enemies at once if they're like small enemies you can hold maybe like 20 like i'm playing in a in a zone where you're like hey if you know what you're doing you can just like kite you know 20 enemies and they're all normally hits a dps to kill them in like three hits or something and you can just hold them and then kill them and i like breaking math it Mm -hmm. makes me feel like i'm like breaking the game in a way even though it's like completely intentional design um so i've really been enjoying the zone uh it's i think collectively the zone is called the save the queen zones Mm -hmm. um and yeah that's the that's the area that i'm gonna try and do a savage raid. this is actually content from shadowbringers which is the previous expansion so it's not even like current content but it's fun uh it's still hard you, and, uh, you in the span of this call you actively talked me out of playing final fantasy <laughs> i'm glad you're enjoying it it's it's a huge commitment i wouldn't have started if i wasn't like literally taking a break from work yeah, I don't think it would have worked otherwise. Like yeah. it's it's that much of a time commitment. And like now that I'm, I'm not even caught up to current content. I just like burned out because I did all of the story from Realm Reborn into Endwalker in about eight months, mm-hmm. um, which is a lot. Like if you think about it, like you know the game puts out content to tide people over every few months, right? And you like burn through a decade of that content in a year. Whew, it's a lot. It's yeah. like really good. I I think that the story is really impressive and special yeah it's um, it's the thing i in, know i would like this game and every time i've played a little bit of it i have really liked this game i just do not have the time and i will not the only way i can do this is if i play yeah. nothing else and then this yeah, website it's not, it's not doesn't exist this podcast doesn't exist i don't yeah doesn't fulfill i also yeah i don't know that that's a worthwhile trade. I'm honestly surprised that Final Fantasy fourteen has the player base that it does. And then I remember that, yeah, most people just know life games, right? And yeah. if this is the only thing that you play, which for a lot of people, they play one game at a time yeah, uh, and very few games in a year, yeah, then it makes sense, right? So I wouldn't recommend it for someone like you. Yeah. I wouldn't even recommend it for someone like me, to be honest. But I'm really glad I got through it because it's a singular moment in storytelling i think like very few games get to like a 10-year story and close it well looking at you world of warcraft who has been unable to carry a storyline for a single expansion let alone like multiple um you know it's one of those things of like it's said that um they wrote the the gist of the story for like three expansions in a go Mm mm-hmm and then you know they went from there and like, that's impressive i am because you know what game dev is like you know what production is like that's insane right yeah yeah <laughs> and, i'm so and, glad you know that... obviously things changed but yeah i'm so glad that this this legacy exists of what this project was yeah. and where it's at now. yeah like it's one of yeah. those things that i'm i'm envious of the people who are able to play it 
because like as i said i know that i like it and i know that there's something really in there because i haven't even hit the good content yet like i'm level 20 yeah like i know that it's the game that you get to the end of the base game and then the good stuff starts happening which i normally rally against but um i think that's a misnomer i think all of it is in service to it getting good because as much as the team needed to figure out how to get their storytelling chops in the players have to be primed because to be completely honest the story's average yeah but an average story told over 10 years when you're stockholm syndromed into it because you paid money <laughs> to play this game is gonna be a really good story you know what i mean yeah like, true true i don't I know it's it's such a like i can't think of any other game that's in the very unique position that final fantasy 14 is in because very few games can be as long-lived and certainly no other game i can think of that is as long-lived tells as cohesive of a story and that's with final fantasy 14 fucking off for one whole expansion as a new writer got their legs in you know like which is as well such a cool thing right of like they needed to get a new writer situated and comfortable so they allowed her to just take the characters on a like road trip into a completely different world and that ends up being one of the like fan favorite worlds it's great that's super neat yeah all right well i expect a full report in the next podcast of how this raid training went very excited i'm a healer (laughs) yeah it's gonna be good gun up there friend all right well i think that's a wrap first podcast back technical difficulties it went a while yeah it went a while i apologize i went i apologize apologize for how long that went in the tooth i guess yeah Yeah, it's good it's good um so yeah thanks everyone for for being here uh if you're listening on spotify there is a video version on spotify on mobile there's uh you know if you're also listening there we do this live on youtube youtube.com forward slash pixels for breakfast uh if you head over there hit the like and subscribe little notification bell and there's links to our discord as well um join our community it's a good time uh in terms of stuff that's coming up we have the wild frost uh write-up opinion piece slash review ish thing yeah hard to be a review because i can't say i beat the game right yeah yeah. we're getting something up for wild frost that's going to go there i'm currently working on a piece about resident evil 4 and sort of capcom's reverence for the series in general as remakes so that will hopefully be up next week and i'm also slowly uh working on an against the storm early access review but that's a slow burn because i'm very busy at the moment unfortunately and blue and i will be back in a live stream uh next week i think it's next week right that's the plan yeah Yeah. uh we're planning to do a live stream series uh for our series rogue life uh, where we play a bunch of different roguelike games we're going to be doing across the obelisk it's a co-op uh card based based rogue roguelike <laughs> with darkest dungeon meets slay the spire elements it's it's so long it's so long it's such a long game so the concept like you talked about like fights in tight spaces being like an hour yeah. and a half and like that seems the, short first compared to this five hours <laughs> yeah. yeah so the yeah. the uh, idea for uh roguelife is um play a game a roguelike game and 
whether that run starts like ends in a minute or ends in 50 minutes like that's your episode and you do that every time i don't know if we're going to be able to do that with across the obelisk because as you just said i mean we could fail yeah <laughs> we, could, we just could fail, fail and that's spectacularly the end. yeah yeah so, so we'll, we'll try and work that out we might bundle it as run one episode one run two episode two depending how long see things how it goes. goes but yeah we're gonna do that it's gonna be a lot of fun and we're gonna try and keep that at a pretty regular like once a week once a fortnight sort of cadence um and yeah, yeah i think the initial thing was alternating from this yeah yeah so podcast one week yeah. uh, obelisk the next kind of deal um mm. is the idea uh you can also join us over on ko-fi.com buy us a coffee help us out there um also accepting donations uh on live streams apparently that's a thing that works but we haven't had that happen yet um blue anything mm. you want to say to sign off is is a wild place out there be kind to each other and yourself good advice as always and uh yeah thanks everyone we'll see you next time here on pixels for breakfast <laughs>